Brazil's president, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, known commonly as Lula, visited China this April for a historic trip. It was the Brazilian president's first trip outside of the Americas in his third term now as president, and he met with Chinese President Xi Jinping and signed 15 different agreements covering pretty much every area of cooperation you can imagine, including bilateral trade, technology, renewable energy, climate change, fighting poverty and hunger, communications, even space exploration and satellite construction. What this meeting showed is how close China and Brazil have become. Both countries are founders of the BRICS system, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. In fact, Lula da Silva was one of the creators of the BRICS. It was one of his ideas. And part of the BRICS system is the so-called BRICS Bank, also known as the New Development Bank. And Lula arrived in China in Shanghai, where he attended the ceremony officially swearing in the former president of Brazil, Dilma Rousseff, as the new director of the BRICS Bank. Dilma Rousseff is from the same leftist workers' party that Lula da Silva represents. In his speech at the BRICS Bank headquarters, Lula made historic comments condemning the dominance of the U.S. dollar. He said it's ridiculous that countries around the world are forced to trade in dollars. It's ridiculous that we're forced to get access to dollars in order to be able to import technology. And he called for not only Brazil and China to trade in their local currencies, but other countries across the world to drop the U.S. dollar. What all of this shows is that Brazil and China are helping to strengthen the new multipolar world. Lula himself, like the Chinese president Xi Jinping, has publicly called repeatedly for the creation of a multipolar world. And this historic trip is a major step in that direction. Now, if you want to check out all of the sources that I discuss in this analysis today, in the description below, I have linked to an article over at geopoliticaleconomy.com. Now, I want to begin today stressing that Brazil is a very important country. It actually has the eighth largest economy on Earth when you measure its GDP, which is the size of its entire economy, with the metric purchasing power parity, PPP. And that's a much better measurement than nominal GDP because what nominal GDP is it converts the local currency into dollars, making everything about dollars, whereas PPP measures the purchasing power of people in the local currency. So Brazil has the eighth largest economy, which means that the Brazilian economy is bigger than the economies of both France and Britain. Now, you also notice, of course, that China has the largest economy on the earth. When you use PPP measurement of GDP, China's economy is around $33 trillion, whereas the U.S. economy is around $27 trillion. Brazil also is the seventh most populous country on earth with a population of nearly 220 million people. That puts it behind Nigeria, Pakistan, Indonesia, and then the U.S., which is the third most populous country. So we're talking about the largest country in Latin America with the biggest economy in Latin America. 
Of course, China is in the top two most populous countries on Earth. It used to be the most populous country, but it's expected in 2023 that India is going to overtake China as the most populous country. Each has around 1.4 billion people. Now, China is Brazil's largest trading partner. And in the past two decades, their trade has exploded. In fact, the first time Lula visited China as president was in 2004. That was in his first term as president. And since that time, in the last 19 years, trade between Brazil and China has increased by 21 times. In 2022, Brazil and China did about $150 billion worth of trade. And in fact, Brazil exports three times more to China than it sells to the United States. So China is a much more significant trading partner for Brazil than the U.S. is. And another key detail is that Brazil has a large trade surplus with China, whereas Brazil has a trade deficit with the United States. That means that Brazil imports more from the United States than it exports to the U.S. On the other hand, Brazil exports significantly more to China than it imports from China. In fact, the trade surplus is quite big. In 2022, Brazil exported around $90 billion worth of goods to China, and it imported about $60 billion of goods from China. What all of this shows is how extremely important the China-Brazil strategic partnership is. And I'm going to later in this analysis look at the comments that President Lula and President Xi made in their meeting this April. But I want to highlight a very important fact. When Lula visited the United States as president, he visited for one day. When Lula is now visiting China, he visited for five days. That reflects how clearly Lula sees Brazil's relationship with China as much more important than its relationship with the U.S. And Lula, of course, has a lot of reasons to be very angry at the U.S., given that in 2018, Lula was imprisoned on completely fake charges that were later all dropped against him. And in fact, even the United Nations Human Rights Committee officially said that when Lula was imprisoned on bogus charges in 2018, it violated his civil liberties and rights to due process. And the United States strongly supported that imprisonment. And that is what led to the rise of the far-right extremist president, Jair Bolsonaro, who came to power in 2018, essentially in what was a stolen election backed by the United States. So this explains why Lula has very tense relations with the U.S., but he actually is very close to China. Now, I noted in a previous report that this March, China and Brazil signed a historic agreement saying that they're going to pursue trade with each other in their local currencies. So Brazil is going to trade with the real, which is the name of its currency, and China is going to trade with its currency, the renminbi. The renminbi is the official name of the currency and the most prominent unit of account of the currency is called the yuan. So those terms are often used interchangeably. So as of March, China and Brazil made it clear that they're going to try to drop the US dollar in their trade. I will link to that other article about de-dollarization around the world in the description below and you can get more information. 
This is a major example of the global drive toward de-dollarization. Countries trying to weaken their dependence on the U.S. dollar, which dominates the international economy. Around 80% of international trade involves the U.S. dollar, according to the Federal Reserve. And the dollar is also still very dominant in the foreign exchange reserves held by central banks around the world. FX reserves, foreign exchange reserves, are basically the savings of governments that they need to use if they want to stabilize their currency in foreign exchange markets, or for instance, if they have a balance of payments issue and they have to pay for trade, then they use what is essentially their savings held by their central banks. And around 60% of the FX reserves of central banks around the world are held in dollars. However, that number is decreasing. It was around 70% in 2000. So in the past 20 years, it's decreased by 10% and it's continuing to decline more and more. And at the same time, we see the use of other currencies, especially the Chinese renminbi. Now, this drive toward de-dollarization that we see led by countries like China and Brazil is angering the United States. And a clear example of this was the neoconservative Republican Senator Marco Rubio from Florida. When he heard about the news of China and Brazil de-dollarizing their trade and using their local currencies, Marco Rubio was furious. And on Fox News, he complained that if countries drop the dollar, the U.S. will no longer be able to sanction them. Look, it goes beyond these things that just today, today, Brazil, in our hemisphere, largest country in the Western Hemisphere south of us, cut a trade deal with China. They're going to from now on do trade in their own currencies, get right around the dollar. They're creating a, a secondary economy in the world totally independent of the United States. We won't have to talk about sanctions in five years because there'll be so many countries transacting in currencies other than the dollar that, that we won't have the ability to sanction them. That's a very revealing quote because it, it's really a U.S. official admitting that by maintaining the dominance of the U.S. dollar around the world, the United States is able to weaponize its currency and turn it into a geopolitical tool to attack any country that carries out policies that Washington doesn't like. So the U.S. has imposed sanctions on countries that represent one quarter of the global population, including China, Russia, Iran, Venezuela, Cuba, Nicaragua, Zimbabwe, Syria. There are so many people living under brutal sanctions that prevent them from doing trade, prevent them from exporting, that cause massive economic problems and inflation at home and in a, a lack of certain goods, a lack of medicines and technology. So this explains why countries around the world are looking for alternatives to the U.S. dollar. And this partly explains why Lula has been so loudly calling for challenging the hegemony of the U.S. dollar. The Financial Times published an article looking at a speech that Lula gave at the BRICS Bank, the New Development Bank, in Shanghai this April. And the Financial Times put it very clearly, titling this article, Brazil's Lula calls for end to dollar trade dominance. They noted that the leftist president lends his voice to Beijing's effort to boost Renminbi's role in global commerce. They noted that Brazil's president Lula da Silva has called on developing countries to work toward replacing the U.S. dollar with their own currencies in international trade. He 
called for the BRICS system of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa to come up with their own alternative currency for use in trade. And by the way, the foreign minister of South Africa has confirmed that BRICS is working on developing their own international reserve currency to challenge the dollar. And Lula said in this speech at the New Development Bank in China, quote, Every night I ask myself why all countries have to base their trade on the dollar. Why can't we do trade based on our own currencies? Who was it that decided that the dollar was the currency after the disappearance of the gold standard? So very powerful comments. And this article notes that that it drew loud applause from the audience of Brazilian and Chinese officials. I also want to stress the fact that Lula says every night he asks himself. So this is clearly an extremely important issue for Lula, de-dollarizing trade. And when Lula was in China, they signed an agreement saying that Brazil and China are going to do trade with each other in their local currencies, the yuan and the real. Continuing in his speech, Lula said, who decided that our currencies were weak? that they didn't have value in other countries. Why can't a bank like that of the BRICS have a currency to finance trade relations between Brazil and China, between Brazil and other countries? It's difficult because we are unaccustomed to the idea. Everyone depends on just one currency. Of course, he's referring to the US dollar. The Financial Times also added that data from the international payment system, the SWIFT system, which is dominated by the US, that data shows that the Chinese currency share of trade finance around the world has more than doubled in the past year from around 2% to now 4.5%. And a big part of that is because due to the proxy war in Ukraine, Russia and China are trading with each other in their local currencies. Another significant reason motivating countries, especially in the global south, to try to drop the U.S. dollar is that right now the U.S. currency is very strong against other currencies. And that's largely because in the past year, the U.S. Central Bank, the Federal Reserve, has been raising interest rates to try to drop wages. It's not, it, you know, it's ostensibly about trying to fight consumer price index inflation. But in fact, the chair of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, said that his goal is to bring wages down. So it's trying to weaken the power of labor in the United States. And what that does is when the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, it makes it makes it more expensive for people to borrow dollars to to, to have financing. What that does is it reduces the money supply. And as this money supply is reduced, the U.S. dollar becomes more valuable. And especially against other currencies, the U.S. dollar has been increasing in value. So what that means is that foreign countries that need to have access to dollars to import commodities like oil or gas or minerals or food, they need to get access to dollars. But because the dollar is stronger, it actually makes it more expensive for those countries to pay for their imports. And also another very big problem for the global south is that if countries have foreign debt, usually their foreign debt is nominated in US dollars. So if the dollar becomes too strong, it makes it very hard for countries in the global south to pay off their dollar denominated debt. And right now we're seeing across the global south a crisis of many countries that are defaulting or, un or close to defaulting because they're unable to pay their debt due to the very strong 
US dollar. So all of these factors explain why Lula and other leaders in the global south, especially left-wing leaders like Lula, are trying to find alternatives to the US dollar and US economic hegemony. Now, it might be surprising to some people to hear that Lula says that every night he thinks about how he can challenge the hegemony of the US dollar. But for people who watch Latin America closely, this isn't actually that surprising because Lula has been hinting this for over a year now. When Lula ran for president in 2022, he said in a campaign rally that if he becomes president, he's going to try to create a new currency in Latin America so the countries in the region can trade with each other without needing to get access to US dollars. And Lula is a man of his word. Almost immediately after entering office in January 2023, he one of the first things he did is he traveled to Argentina. This was his first trip abroad as president, where he attended the summit of the Community of Latin American and Caribbean States, the CELAC, which is an alternative to the U.S.-dominated Organization of American States, the OAS. And at that meeting in Argentina, Lula announced that Brazil and Argentina are working on creating a new currency for trade in Latin America that they tentatively, they're tentatively going to call the Sur, which means the South. I have another report about that over at geopoliticaleconomy.com, which I will link to in the description below. So all of this shows that Lula has been pushing for an economic multipolar order for years now. He, he is a visionary. Lula was one of the creators of the BRIC system. He was one of the creators of the New Development Bank as an alternative to the U.S.-dominated World Bank, which imposes neoliberal structural adjustment policies on countries all across the world, especially in the global south. And Lula has been pushing for not only political institutions to provide more democratic space for the global south, to challenge the hegemony of Western imperialism, but also he has been pushing for economic institutions to provide more breathing room for the global South. Now, I really need to stress how the Lula administration is a complete 180 compared to the previous regime of Jair Bolsonaro, the far-right leader who only came to power because essentially the US helped to steal the election in 2018 by imprisoning Lula in 2018 on completely fake charges. And I, under Bolsonaro, Brazil was completely subordinated to the United States. In fact, Bolsonaro is one of the only foreign leaders I've ever seen who held rallies as the president of a country with other countries' flags. Bolsonaro would constantly hold rallies next to U.S. and Israeli flags especially when Donald Trump was president. When Biden came in, he had, you know, because Biden is a Democrat, they had, you know, differences and they had fights. But I should point out the irony, by the way, that Bolsonaro, who's a very far-right fascistic figure, who openly praised the Pinochet dictatorship, the fascist regime, and he also praised the previous fascist dictatorship in Brazil, and he said the complaint that he had is they didn't they didn't kill enough leftists, according to him. And he's made so many comments that I can't even say because this will be censored. But the point is, he was completely fascist. And it's so ironic because he had this so-called nationalist rhetoric of supporting Brazil, but he actually sold out Brazil to the United States and to U.S. corporations, whereas Lula, who is a leftist, 
he is an actual nationalist, but he's a leftist nationalist because he's supporting he's supporting his country's national self-interest and not subordinating his country to the United States. He's not selling off his country to U.S. corporations like Bolsonaro did. That's what actual nationalism is, progressive left-wing nationalism, as opposed to the fascistic so-called nationalism of Bolsonaro, which is not, not actually nationalism. It's actually neocolonialism. And when Bolsonaro ran for president in 2018, he campaigned condemning China constantly and spreading all these ridiculous conspiracies about communism. And he even during the, the pandemic, he even referred to it as the China virus, like Donald Trump did. So under Bolsonaro's far right regime, relations between China and Brazil became very tense and very negative. But now that Lula's in, China and Brazil have become key allies once again. Under Bolsonaro, in fact, the U.S. tried to use him to destroy the BRIC system. And former CIA director turned Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who was, served under Trump, he boasted about this in a tweet. He said, remember BRICS? Well, thanks to Jair Bolsonaro and Narendra Modi, Brazil and India both get that China and Russia are threats to their people. So it shows how the United States under Trump was trying to use the far right leaders of Brazil and India to, to divide the BRIC system in order to prevent the global south from unifying. And on the other hand, Lula was one of the creators of the BRICS. So it's been a complete 180 from the pro-US anti-China policy under Bolsonaro to now the pro-China policy under Lula. And yes, Lula is not openly publicly criticizing the US largely because he knows that the US has a lot of power and could try to destabilize his country. The US already backed a coup against his successor Dilma Rousseff in 2016, a political coup based on bogus charges. Dilma was impeached on ridiculous charges based on what Bolsonaro did like every week. And then in 2018, Lula was imprisoned in another part of this U.S.-backed coup in the so-called Lava Jato Operation Car Wash, which was backed by the U.S. Justice Department and the U.S. State Department from day one. And the judge who imprisoned Lula, Sergio Moro, was a CIA asset. And immediately after Bolsonaro won the unfair election in 2018, he appointed that judge who imprisoned Lula, Sergio Moro, as his so-called super justice minister. And then Bolsonaro and Sergio Moro visited CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia, clearly to thank the CIA for helping to steal the election in 2018 on their behalf by imprisoning Lula on fake charges. So the difference could not be any more different. Again, Lula understands that he has to be very careful with the U.S. He can't just publicly condemn the U.S., like Fidel Castro, because, you know, the U.S. could do a lot of damage to his country. But by going to China for, for four days, as opposed to going to the U.S. for just one day, we can clearly see where his priorities are. Now, when Lula was in China, he gave two speeches at the New Development Bank that were very powerful. And they explain really his philosophy and the way he thinks about this. And I translated some of the main points. You can find the transcript on the official Brazilian government website, but of course it's in Portuguese. So I translated some of the main points into English. Lula also boasted that under his leadership in his first two terms in office from 2003 until 2010, and also in the years from 2011 until 2016, 
under Dilma Rousseff, his successor, they lifted 36 million Brazilians out of extreme poverty. And for the first time in history, Brazil was taken off of the United Nations hunger map. Lula also boasted that under his leadership from 2003 until 2010, the Brazilian economy grew so quickly that it became the sixth largest economy in the world. And you can see that he entered office on January 1st, 2003. So the year before he entered office, the Brazilian GDP, according to Purchasing Power Parity, was $1.72 trillion. So in just the, the eight years he was in power, the Brazilian economy grew from $1.72 trillion to $2.8 trillion. So this, the size of the Brazilian economy grew by more than $1 trillion. And you can see that, that his successor, Dilma Rousseff, also was carrying out policies to grow the economy. However, what happened in 2014 is there was a crash in commodities prices, and Brazil is a commodities powerhouse. A big part of its economy depends on exporting commodities. And in 2014, the U.S. government helped to oversee this crisis in commodities prices by pressuring Saudi Arabia to overproduce oil, and that saturated the global oil market and dropped the price of oil. And that was a U.S. strategy. At that time, Saudi Arabia basically just had a U.S. puppet regime. Today, things have changed a lot in the past decade. And Saudi Arabia's government is much more independent of the U.S. and is actually doing the opposite of what the U.S. wants. It's actually cutting oil production, which is increasing the price of oil in the global market. But in that time, in 2014, the U.S. pressured Saudi Arabia to increase oil production significantly, which dropped the price of global of oil in the global market and that hurt though the u.s goal was to hurt specifically the oil producing countries of russia iran and venezuela and this is the same year where the u.s organized the coup in ukraine in february 2014 and overthrew ukraine's democratically elected geopolitically neutral government and this led to the the installation of a pro-Western regime, which set off a civil war in Ukraine, which led Russia to annex Crimea after a democratic referendum in which more than 90% of Crimeans wanted to join Russia. And historically, they were part of Russia. So anyway, the U.S. tried to crush the Russian economy by imposing sanctions and, and trying to drop the price of oil in the global market. And that really hurt the Brazilian economy and led to a recession in the two years that followed. And since then, the Brazilian economy has been completely stagnant under six years of rule of brutal right-wing regimes, first the neoliberal regime of Michel Temer, and then under Bolsonaro. And now it's finally getting back to recovering. A big part of this is because Brazil is so heavily reliant on commodity exports on the global market. Brazil, it's not that well known, but Brazil is actually among the top 10 largest oil producers in the world. According to recent data, which is 2021, Brazil actually exported more oil than even Iran. So, and it's right around the same level as the United Arab Emirates, representing around 4% of global oil production, also around the same level nearly as Iraq. So Brazil is a major oil producer. Brazil is also the world's second largest producer of iron ore after Australia. And iron ore is, of course, extremely important for technology, for machines. And especially, you know, so we move toward renewable energy and such, 
iron is going to be used along with copper and lithium. And by the way, in terms of these commodities, the BRICS countries represent the largest producers of iron ore in the world. You can see Brazil is the second largest, China is the third largest, India is the fourth largest, Russia is the fifth largest, and South Africa is the eighth largest producer. And Iran is the 10th largest, and Iran has applied to join the extended BRICS plus block. Now, interestingly, one of the best resources to read to understand the importance of Lula's trip to China is in fact the S&P Global Market Intelligence Unit, which... I mean, this is written for investors, for capitalists. So the irony is that it actually has better quality information because the corporate media reports are written for propaganda to brainwash people. This is written for people who want to make money. So they have to actually know the real facts. And the S&P Global report pointed out that the agreements, there are 20 agreements that Brazil and China were signing And as part of this trip, 523 business representatives from Brazil and mainland China gathered together. And it notes that just in 2022, trade between these two countries grew by 10%. And it notes that the Lula administration is looking to prioritize deepening economic ties with China. Lula's visit to mainland China which had previously been postponed due to illness, but happened this April. It was planned to last five days and would have included a delegation of around 200 business representatives compared with the one day that Lula spent in the United States in February with no clear agreements reached. So once again, it shows how for Brazil, its relationship with China is much more important than its relationship with the U.S., And as part of the agreements that the countries signed, they included uh, expanding opportunities in agribusiness, manufacturing, the digital economy, green energy, infrastructure investments in Brazilian manufacturing and telecommunications, technology, boosting Brazil's energy transition, using Chinese technology to improve sustainability across agriculture, manufacturing, transport, and mining, investment in railway and port infrastructure, lowering transport and production costs for industry in Brazil, and proposals for Chinese funding to repurpose degraded land to avoid deforestation. I'm going to look here at the diplomatic statement that the Brazilian government released, which has the highlights of the meeting between Lula and President Xi in Beijing. Now, this is with the auto translation in English, but I I looked at the Portuguese and I looked at the auto translation. And for the most part, I would say 90% of it is pretty good. And I'll try to correct parts that are not very good here. Now, Lula said in these these comments that he made in Beijing. He said, quote, we want the Brazil-China relationship to transcend the trade issue. We want to have a deep relationship in science and technology, partnerships between universities to have more students interchanged. We count on China in our fight for the preservation of planet Earth, defending a healthier climate policy, calling for an energy transition to produce cleaner energy, especially wind, solar, and biomass energy. He said, Brazil is committed to achieving by 2030 zero deforestation in the Amazon and to making our contribution to preserving the planet. 
We are convinced that the development of Brazilian agriculture does not need irresponsible deforestation, let alone fires. Brazil can practically, practically double its agricultural production by recovering degraded land without having to cut a single tree. And for his part, the Chinese president Xi said, quote, China has a strategic and far-reaching relationship with Brazil, which has a prioritized place in our foreign relations. You are our longtime friend. The Brazil-China relationship is healthy and it's in its stable development. It will play an important role for peace, stability, and self-development for both countries and the world. Brazil's finance minister, Fernando Haddad, who is from the left-wing Workers' Party and was actually, he was the presidential candidate in 2018 when Lula was imprisoned on fake charges. And he said in a speech also in Beijing that Brazil's goal is to help with use Chinese capital to re-industrialize the country. And this is the exact opposite of what Western imperialism has done to the global south. Western imperialism has de-industrialized countries in the global south. Under Bolsonaro, the far-right leader uh, backed by the U.S. who led Brazil, he de-industrialized Brazil. Before Bolsonaro, Brazil, for instance, was a producer of planes, of machine technology. Brazil had advanced te technological industry, and that was largely destroyed by the neoliberal right-wing economic policies imposed by Bolsonaro and his Chicago boy economic minister, Paulo Guedes, who actually taught neoliberal economics under the Pinochet dictatorship in Chile because he loved the fascist Pinochet dictatorship so much, backed by the U.S. So anyway, the point is that Fernando Haddad, the current finance minister under Lula, said the goal is to re-industrialize Brazil in partnership with Chinese capital. And he said the goal is to strengthen Latin America's economic integration through institutions like the Mercosur and also UNASUR as a bloc so the region can work together. Now, when he was in China, Lula signed 15 cooperation agreements, and they, they include basically every major area. I just, again, I want to emphasize this shows how Brazil and China have a deep alliance, a deep strategic partnership. And this is the new multipolar world. It's already here. It's not coming. It is here. And this is an example of two countries in the global south that were colonized by Western imperial powers. And they're cutting out the Western imperialist powers and developing their relations together in a mutually beneficial way. They constantly said that. Now, this is also based on the auto translation of the official diplomatic statement from the Brazilian government website from the Brazilian Ministry of Foreign Affairs. But I, I checked the translation and about 90% of it is accurate. So these are the, the 15 different memoranda of understanding, the agreement signed between China and Brazil. It includes trade, joint development of satellites and space exploration together, cooperation in research in science and innovation, cooperation in communication technology, development and investment in industrial cooperation, investments in the digital economy, cooperation between their ministries of finance, information and communications, television co-productions, co media cooperation between the different media outlets in the countries, fighting hunger and poverty, space cooperation, using 
technology in agriculture and expanding the cooperation in meat production and the export of plant protein from Brazil to China. So the, this is so many areas of cooperation. Now, when Lula was in China, he gave two speeches at the New Development Bank. Lula pointed out that we're living in a moment of financial instability around the world. He commented on the, the collapse of Credit Suisse, the massive Swiss bank that was taken over by UBS. And he also recalled the 2008 financial crash, which he said was caused by greed and risky financial speculation. And he said that the New Development Bank offers an extraordinary hope in the midst of this crisis. Lula said, quote, I think the world has never needed an instrument to help in the world's development as much as it needs it now. We have to be more concerned with serving the countries that are most in need of money. And he said that the NDB's, that's the New Development Bank, the BRICS Bank, the NDB's goal should be, quote, to help the neediest and poorest countries. Lula said, I hope that this bank is able to lend money for the development of the African continent. I hope that this bank is able to have money to lend to the poorest countries in Latin America. In a tweet that Lula wrote from China, he said, quote, it is a dream of developing countries to have an instrument that invests in their development. During the eight years I was in the presidency, and that was from the beginning of 2003 until the end of 2010, he said, I tried to create a bank of the South, which would allow investment in the necessary things in our region without submitting to the rules of the IMF. And when he says the IMF and the rules, He's referring to the U.S.-dominated International Monetary Fund, which for decades has imposed neoliberal economic policies, right-wing economic policies on the countries of the global south. So if a country has a balance of payments issue and it can't pay for the imports that it needs, it has to, often has to get a loan from the IMF. And in response to that loan, as a condition for taking that loan, the IMF, under U.S. leadership, forces countries in the global south to drop the minimum wage, to cut the wages of their workers, to cut social spending, to, to cut health care and education, to privatize state-owned companies and sell off those companies to foreign corporations. All of these neoliberal policies are forced on countries, and Brazil has suffered under that in the 1990s. So Lula is saying that we need a new mechanism, an alternative to the U.S.-dominated IMF. In Latin America, he tried to create a bank of the South, and the New Development Bank, the BRICS Bank, is another alternative. Lula continued explaining on Twitter, he wrote that, quote, the BRICS Bank represents a lot for those who dream of a new world. The dream of creating the BRICS was for an instrument of development which will certainly be strong with the goal of benefiting countries. Then he continued on the Twitter thread saying, if not, we will never have the poorest countries be able to develop themselves. It would not be fair if we ended the 21st century as we started the 20th century with those who were rich getting richer and those who were poor getting poorer. So this is him saying that the IMF, the U.S.-dominated neoliberal economic system, has made rich imperialist countries richer and has made poor countries in the global south poorer. And the goal of the New Development Bank 
is ideally to help actually develop the global south and not help enrich corporations in the global north at the expense of the global south. In the other speech that Lula gave at the New Development Bank in China, I translated the, some main parts of it again. You can find the Portuguese transcript at the Brazilian government website. Here, you once again can see his leftist ideology. This was the speech he gave in which Dilma Rousseff was officially sworn in as director of the NDB, the New Development Bank. And in that speech, Lula affectionately referred to Dilma Rousseff, the former president, as Comrade Dilma. And he said that the, that the NDB has the potential to become the great bank of the global south. He said the New Development Bank is a, quote, tool for reducing inequalities between rich countries and emerging countries. And he said that this kind of inequality over decades has led to social exclusion, hunger, extreme poverty, and forced migration. He said, many developing countries are accumulating unpayable debts. The unmet financing needs of developing countries were and remain enormous. And he said, the BRICS Bank is a milestone in the project of South-South cooperation. He said, for the first time, a development bank with global reach was established without the participation of developed countries in its initial phase. Free, he said the bank is free, therefore, from the shackles of conditionalities imposed by traditional institutions on emerging economies. So he's talking about the neoliberal right-wing economic policies that the United States imposes on countries through the World Bank and the IMF in which the U.S. has veto power. And he said that, furthermore, one of the advantages of the BRICS is that it, it in the BRICS Bank, is that it provides the possibility of financing projects in local currency. So once again, we see Lula stressing the importance of not only trading with each other in local currencies, but providing financing loans for infrastructure projects in local currencies as opposed to the U.S. dollar. Lula said, the creation of the New Development Bank shows that the Union of Emerging Countries is capable of generating relevant social and economic changes for the world. We don't want to be better than anyone else. We want opportunities to expand our potential and guarantee dignity, citizenship, and quality of life to our peoples. The New Development Bank has great transformative potential as it frees emerging countries from submission to traditional financial institutions which try to govern us without having a mandate to do so. So this is him saying that the U.S. dominated IMF and the World Bank. Not only do they impose these conditionalities, they basically try to govern countries in the global south. But they're not supposed to do that. They're only supposed to provide loans. But instead, they try to force countries to do what Washington wants. And this is a form of imperialism, of neocolonialism. So Lula specifically said that the New Development Bank has helped finance infrastructure projects, income support programs, sustainable transfer transportation, climate change adaptation, sanitation services, and renewable energies. And he also pointed out, by the way, it was a kind of subtle comment, but in his speech, he said that, of course, Dilma becoming president of the New Development Bank 
is a victory for women's representation. He also stressed that in the 1970s, Lula was a guerrilla. She was a revolutionary guerrilla fighter fighting against the brutal right-wing U.S.-backed regime in Brazil. And he know, and Lula hinted at that. He didn't mention it directly. But, you know, Dilma was imprisoned. She was imprisoned by the Brazilian dictatorship backed by the U.S., and Lula noted that this is a victory for Dilma's revolutionary struggles in the 1970s to put in practice the dream of a better world. In his speeches, Lula also emphasized another key detail, which is that when Brazil was under the leadership of the far-right Jair Bolsonaro regime, which only came to power because of U.S.-backed coups, against Dilma in 2016, and then the imprisonment of Lula on fake charges in 2018, which prevented him from running in the election, which basically stole the election on behalf of Bolsonaro, thanks to U.S. government meddling. And he said he complained that under Bolsonaro, Brazil became basically controlled by the U.S., and Brazil was not an important country on the global stage. But he said, now that time has changed. And Lula said in his speech in China, quote, the time when Brazil was absent from major world decisions is in the past. We are back on the international stage after an inexplicable absence. We have a lot to contribute to key issues of our time, such as mitigating the climate crisis and fighting hunger and inequality. It is intolerable that on a planet that produces enough food to meet the needs of all humanity, Hundreds of millions of men, women, and children have nothing to eat. It is inadmissible that the irresponsibility and greed of a small minority put the survival of the planet and all humanity at risk. Brazil is back with the willingness to contribute again to the construction of a more developed, fairer, and environmentally sustainable world. So with that, I'm going to conclude my analysis here today. I went for a long time, but that's because I wanted to highlight so many important points about this. The China-Brazil strategic partnership is, is very important because it represents the new multipolar world that we're already in. Lula as one of the co-founders of the BRICS and China as a member of the BRICS. The BRICS is going to be expanding. These countries are going to be key in the transition going forward as the global south rises once again after centuries of western colonialism and underdevelopment and over exploitation and stealing their natural resources and exploiting their labor lula himself has called for creating a multipolar world and we're already living in it he played an important role in helping to give birth to it years ago and now we see that role that multipolar world growing and expanding with that i'm going to conclude here you are watching or listening to geopolitical economy report please subscribe on whatever platform you're watching or listening on if you want to support the work that we do here you can go to geopoliticaleconomy.com support or you can become a patron over at patreon.com geopoliticaleconomy I'm Ben Norton, Editor-in-Chief of Geopolitical Economy Report, and I want to thank everyone. I will see you next time.